Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We are speaking on Wednesday, June 14th, 2023, and we are returning to the topic we've probably discussed more than any other this calendar year, and that's housing, the issue that is at or near the top of concerns for so many New Yorkers and a major focus of what have been largely to this point unsuccessful policy negotiations among state leaders in Albany throughout the first six months of this year. That's through the budget process that ended with a budget agreement in early May and the fairly brief legislative session that then followed into early June that is sort of still going. The New York State Senate has apparently wrapped up its business for the legislative session. The New York State Assembly is coming back for a couple more days of its legislative session. Mostly, it seems to take up some of the bills that passed the state Senate, but the Assembly did not have time for during its session, the Assembly being a larger body and and prone sometimes to some more need for discussion and debate among its uh, many more members than the state Senate. So the state Assembly, a little more business coming up uh, as June uh, goes on here. My guest today will help shed light on the controversial and contentious high stakes and so far low yield negotiations that have taken place in Albany this year on housing and what comes next. I'll be joined in just a minute by New York State Senator Brian Kavanaugh, a Manhattan Democrat who chairs the state Senate's housing committee and has been very involved in these housing policy negotiations. The basics are fairly simple. If you've been listening to the show, we've been going over the basics and a lot of the details and intricacies from a variety of viewpoints. Um, And you can find past episodes at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette site, really had on a bunch of great experts and guests to talk housing and of course, a whole bunch of other issues as well. Um, But the basics are fairly simple. Very little housing is being built in New York, especially New York City and its suburbs where demand is greatest. Housing production is not keeping up with job growth, population growth, and other demographic trends. Rents are skyrocketing after what was a brief COVID dip. Evictions are back up after the COVID moratorium that stopped evictions for a a period of time. And far too high percentages of New Yorkers are rent burdened or severely rent burdened, meaning paying large percentages of their income toward rent. And of course, in New York City and across the state, there is an ongoing and growing homelessness crisis. Despite the fact that uh, many, many current and prospective New Yorkers are clearly looking for leaders to take significant action to address the state's housing crises, uh, a crisis of affordability, supply, and more, action has largely been elusive as Governor Kathy Hochul and the legislature did not reach agreement, but for a few pieces of the puzzle, and we'll touch on those today, that includes some rent arrears for public housing tenants and, and a few other pieces of the puzzle. I won't go back into all the details, but Governor Kathy Hochul unveiled her New York Housing Compact plan to build 800,000 new units of housing over a decade with a variety of planks to it, including most controversially, mandatory growth targets in every community in the state, bolstered by things like mandatory rezoning around uh, MTA stops in the city and in the suburbs, known as transit-oriented development, and a bunch of other pieces. She was most focused on housing supply. State legislators were more focused on tenant protections, rental vouchers, things of that nature, but there was agreement on almost nothing housing related in the state budget that passed in early May. As I said, there were hopes for some sort of grand bargain, but those negotiations fell apart. Then there was a month or so of legislative session that ended for the most part, as I said, a few days ago around June 10th, and the assembly will pick up some business. We'll ask Senator Kavanaugh in a minute if there's any chance of still some sort of housing deal coming together. It seems unlikely, but we'll ask him momentarily when he joins me here on the show. Before legislators wrapped up their their business, the two legislative leaders in a, in a fairly unusual joint statement, Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart-Cousins and Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie, announced that, quote, after months of deliberations, 
both during and after the budget process, the legislature was able to work toward an agreement on historic rent protections, as well as a massive and transformational housing program, end quote. They listed a bunch of planks in that program and then said, unfortunately, it was clear that we could not come to an agreement with the governor on this plan. It takes all three parties, the Senate, the Assembly, and the governor, in order to enact legislation into law. The New York Times reported that Governor Hochul had threatened a veto because she did not like in the plan the inclusion of what is known as good cause eviction protections. And according to my sources, there's on there was ongoing concern from uh, the governor's administration about the question of would there be enough around supply of new housing? Again, we'll get to that with Senator Kavanaugh in just a minute. There was pushback to that joint statement from the Hochul administration with communications director Julie Wood saying that Governor Hochul put forward a nation-leading housing plan in her executive budget that the legislature rejected. Now, in the final hours of the session, the legislature is blaming the governor for their own, quote, failure to act, end quote. So a bit of brinksmanship uh, at the end of legislative session, uh, and we will get into that with Senator Kavanaugh in just a second. Before I bring on Senator Kavanaugh, if you've missed any recent episodes of the show, as I said, you can find them at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. And at GothamGazette.com, you can, of course, find all of our bread and butter, which is our reporting on New York City and state politics and public affairs and government. Okay, Senator Brian Kavanaugh, Manhattan Democrat, chair of the state Senate's Housing Committee. Thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm okay. Um, thank you. Uh, what did I leave out there? How would you characterize um, where we stand right now on these negotiations? This has been, I imagine, a pretty exhausting and frustrating process for you, uh, someone trying to get to some sort of grand bargain on housing policy that covers a lot of bases. How would you characterize sort of where we're at right now and your assessment of these so far largely unsuccessful negotiations over a lot of the different planks of housing policy in New York State. Yeah, first of all, let me just say thanks for the opportunity to be here. And it is nice to have a host who can summarize uh, so many aspects of this so I don't have to. Uh, But yeah, you covered a lot of ground there. Um, And I mean, I would just add that over the last, you know, the stories about the legislature has done nothing on housing. The governor's done nothing on housing. Um, are I mean, there were certainly, certainly relative to some very high expectations for this session, and relative to the cri- the sort of intersecting crises that you mentioned. I would add homelessness itself as a crisis as well, um, which really you know has many uh, sources, but really does come very substantially out of our failure to provide enough housing for folks. Um, but you know, just the broader context is we have taken a very major steps in the last few years. You know, the first year the Democrats took the majority in the Senate, we passed something called the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act, which is the, uh, it is not hyperbole to say it is the broadest uh, and strongest uh, legislation to protect tenants that's passed anywhere in America in the last half century. Um, And it strengthened the rent laws in New York. It also created an entirely new uh, protection, uh, tenant protection system for the 180,000 households in New York State who live in manufactured mobile home parks. Uh, it strengthened eviction protections around the state. Uh, so that is, and from, to some extent, to, to the extent that the parties, tenant uh, advocates and the real estate industry are negotiating, that is kind of the backdrop, that the experience of that negotiation and the results of it are the backdrop for some of the conversations we're having now. Um, you mentioned a 22 month uh, moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. During COVID, that's the longest uh, stretch and, again, the strongest of those moratoria in America that any legislature uh, enacted. And, again, the the rental assistance program you mentioned that we rounded out that program with money particularly focusing on the arrears of uh, public housing and Section 8 residents. But that's a a program that now is approaching $4.5 billion. And unlike any state in America, we put very substantial state resources, almost $1.5 billion, of state money into that program to supplement the inadequate funds we get from the federal government. Um, And lastly, just it is worth mentioning 
the governor, as you note, has been focused on supply here. And this year, that was a conversation about, uh, you know, regulatory reform, allowing, requiring localities to permit more construction, uh, in some cases, getting state government out of the way of permitting more construction. But it is worth noting that last year, we did a $5.5 billion five-year capital plan, which is the other big way that uh, the government spurs housing construction. So that's five and a half billion dollars in direct investments of capital. The governor's estimate, that's a five-year plan. The governor's estimate of our total public expenditure on housing and supporting housing in the state, including tax credits and other things, is about $25 billion over the five years. So just to say we're not doing enough, and I'm the housing chair of of doing much more and did work to create the kind of grand bargain you're talking about this year that will really will solve the crisis. But I just I think it's worth noting that it's not uh, for lack of, you know, very substantial activity uh, to date that we're in the sort of the, the crises that we're in now. Appreciate all that. Can you pinpoint for folks what the couple of biggest uh, fault lines were? There seems to be, um, you know, from from where I've sat and conversations I've had and then other reporting out there, there seems to be um some real opposition from the executive to good cause eviction protections for tenants. Uh, that's a bill that would uh, cap annual rent increases, ensure uh, rights to lease renewals, except under certain you know uh, situations where tenants are not you know uh, where there's good cause, <laughs> um, or or where the owner of the property is doing something with the property or something like that. But but a right to lease renewal in most cases caps on annual rent increases and eviction only for good cause. Um, executive opposition to that, very significant opposition to that. And then on the other side of the equation, very serious legislative opposition to mandatory housing growth targets and to things like the requirement for transit-oriented development, uh, opposition to some of the tax breaks for for developers that the governor want, wanted to get a, to a deal on. Are those basically just the two big fault lines there or what else would you point to? Yeah, I would say those are the major ones. Uh, there are also folks that uh, feel that some of the state programs that we talk about are not uh, sort of adequately targeted to address concerns outside of the New York City metropolitan area. So, uh, and, th- and there were really two, dis- this year there were two sort of distinct negotiations. Uh, the first round came out of the budget process, as you know, and the governor put forth her housing compact, which, you know, was broadly uh, the kind of man mandates on localities to permit uh, housing, including some provisions that would ultimately uh, diminish the amount of local control when they when localities are failing to allow housing to be produced. Uh, and, you know, we do have some of the suburbs in the New York metropolitan area in particular that have some of the lowest rates of housing production in America. The Long Island, Nassau and Suffolk County are particularly notable that they, they produce about, they produce housing about 20% of the rate of the country, uh, which is, you know, they, that's, of course, in a country where we're not producing enough housing across <laughs> across America. So, uh, you know, really rates that are not nearly keeping up with the demand. Um, so that negotiation, the governor put that stuff forth. The legislature said, we, largely speaking, we wanted tenant protections like good cause eviction. I'll talk a little bit more about the details of that in a minute. And also rental assistance. Uh, we've you know, right after we finished the HSTPA, I wrote a bill called the Housing Access Voucher Program that would provide a very large scale rental subsidy uh, that would be modeled on the federal Section 8 program. And the notion there is even if we get production right and dramatically increase supply, that is a very long term process. And in the meantime, we have many people who are rent poor. They're paying so much on rent that they can't afford other basics or they're, they're experiencing homelessness or severe housing instability because their income doesn't cover the rent. So we need an immediate solution to that. And it has become a very broad consensus, not just in the legislature, but across the spectrum that that's necessary. So that is supported by the big uh, real estate organizations, as well as tenant advocates, affordable housing providers, and broadly by both houses of the legislature. So we put those things forth. There was great resistance to uh, interfering with localities. Um, I, it's no secret that I've been supportive of 
trying to do something about localities blocking housing for a couple of years now. So uh, I was disappointed that we did not, you know, I think I think people pointed out, you know, significant concerns about the particulars of what the governor proposed. And obviously it was going to need to be negotiated. But I was disappointed that we could not come to some understanding that included uh, making sure localities were doing their part uh, to produce more housing. Uh, the second negotiation was, was you know, as you know, the, bu- the budget passed on May 2nd, which is just about six weeks ago. It feels like a lifetime ago for mm-hmm. some of us. But uh, we then had a subsequent negotiation that involved the Assembly and the Senate trying to figure out what we could do uh, together. That emphasized the housing compact and the mandates less because that was that was an area where there really was not much support in either house. Um, but we we tried to focus on the provisions that would permit uh, greater housing, including the tax provisions like the 421A program in New York or uh, programs that have been proposed by both the city and the governor to convert commercial space into uh, housing and at the same time get the kind of tenant protections and tenant support that we need. And we added in programs that were intended to address the needs of upstate cities, uh, programs to develop and rehabilitate smaller uh, housing, you know, one, two, three family homes that are the problem in some of our smaller towns and cities, uh, programs to ensure that they also have support for commercial conversions and other things. Uh, And we added, some proposals to address the capital needs of rent stabilized housing. There's been some concern that some of the provisions of the HSTPA uh, are so restrictive on rental housing and and rent regulated housing in New York that it makes it hard for landlords to make the capital improvements they need. So we thought we came to a consensus uh, on on a package of things. And, you know, as you note, the leader, so both houses have noted that effort to get the governor to the table and negotiate on that basis uh, was unfruitful. And, you know, we more or less pulled the plug on that round of negotiations about six days ago. Um, All of this is, I think, uh, in the halting and strange way, Albany makes progress. Um, I think this is perhaps progress. Uh, You know, for all our talk about good cause eviction legislation, um, it's not something that has moved through either house in the last couple of years. And getting a, a deal to extend the city's uh, 420MA program for existing projects. The city estimates there are 33,000 units out there that need that kind of extension. Um, you know, that's been that's been very difficult uh, to get consensus on. So I think we, you know, we made progress toward a broad consensus, but we ultimately didn't get there. I do think that the template that we've laid out will be part of whatever fruitful negotiations we have in the future. And although I'm tremendously disappointed, uh, I do think that we will ultimately get a deal that will address these issues. Um, ultimately get a, get a deal. Uh, what are, is there any chance that's sometime in calendar year 2023 or in your mind, budget's done, legislative session is more or less done, but for a little bit of business, the assembly is going to do. And that's basically that for the year as scheduled. Do you have any, is there any ongoing conversation or even the seed of this, of an idea of continuing to try to do something on this major, you know, set of crises uh, that, you know, there hasn't been action on yet? Or is it next year that you're, you're thinking is, is when this progress could happen? I would say it, you know, this, as you know, the assembly is going back next week to wrap up uh, various items. And obviously there's a great deal on the plane in the legislature besides housing, although it's, you know, critical, a critical part of what we do. So I, I don't think that the sort of in the normal close of the, what we call the regular session, uh, when I don't think we're getting back to the negotiating table in the next week or two. Um, I do, I would say that to the extent there is uh, a deal to be had, the legislature and the governor are capable of you know, going back into session and passing laws. So I think that, and, you know, you just mentioned the seeds of a deal. I think that is a good way of thinking about this. I think that we made a lot of progress clarifying what the legislature was willing and able to do here. Um, I, you know, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in particular here, uh, but, you know, it does take the assembly and the Senate and the governor to make a deal and we didn't get there. Uh, So, but I, you know, we went back into session several times to, uh, enact the initial eviction moratorium to extend the moratorium mm-hmm. to make changes to the ERAP program 
to make changes to our gun laws when the uh, Supreme Court found some of them uh, to be constitutionally infirm. We were back within eight days of that decision. So I think the legislature and the governor are capable of of acting when we're ready to act. And I, I think that the governor certainly understands this crisis and my colleagues in the legislature do as well. So I would hope that we will have, you know, I think there's a bit of a breath that we're going to take right now at the very end of the regular session. But I would hope that we can have continued conversations. And I certainly am in regular contact with, you know, all the parties. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm hopeful. I don't want to say optimistic or pessimistic that it'll happen during the course of this calendar year. But I think we all understand there's a lot of work to do. Let me ask you a little bit. You 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 ticked off some. You know, when I, when I I read portion of the joint statement from the legislative leaders at the end of the session last week about um, the legislature able to work what the statement says toward an agreement on historic rent protections as well as a massive and transformational housing program, and then listed off a dozen bullets of the pieces of that plan. You mentioned several of them. Um, let me ask you a couple of things about that that list and that statement. I was struck by this language, the legislature was able to work toward an agreement. That sounds to me like there wasn't actually a firm full agreement on this list in the legislature. Am I reading too much into that? Or or I don't know if you were wordsmithing this statement at all, but yeah, I, I did not. I, I this this statement uh, went out while we were heavily in conver- in conference. Uh, I, I I didn't write the statement, uh, and it comes from the leaders. I would I, have, say, yeah, I wouldn't have thought you had written it, but I don't. You know, being in no, those I, negotiations, I would say it's it's a fair question. I mean, working toward is not the same as we have a deal. Uh, I think that part of the reason it's written that way is that you know a final deal involves three parties, and a fi- you know we we were. We were ready to, in my, from my, from my heavy involvement in the conversation throughout, you know, daily throughout the process. Uh, I think the Senate was ready to pass this bill, and we had an understanding for the Assembly, but they were willing to pass this bill also. Um, you know, the de- the precise details of what this bill would be. I mean, this would be a very big, complicated bill. I think there were still some conversations about language and precise thresholds for some of the elements, but it was a, it was a broad and thorough deal from a from a very thorough uh negotiation and i i i'm quite confident that we were ready to move and it was ultimately a decision of the leaders in consultation with the governor that you know moving forward with what ends up being a symbolic act of passing a bill that uh the governor is certainly planning to veto wasn't the right next step in this but um yeah i don't i i will say i have some confidence we were ready we had the votes to pass this bill. Why, from your your vantage point, why not pass it? Why not pass it? The governor's been talking about housing as her top priority, or at least one A, along with public safety, for the entirety of her the beginning of her new term here that she won. Why not present what the legislature was able to get to, pass it through, and dare her? You know, call call the bluff show the people of New York, hey, we put together this great package and we're passing it through the legislature. The idea that the governor has to be on board before the legislature passes it is, you know, strikes, I think, many as uh, iffy. Yeah, I've, I've heard that, obviously heard that concern. And I, I you know, I, I think it's, I think it's, it, you can construct an argument either way. You can say that, um, you know, we, I mean, look, I, I spent an, an extraordinary amount of my own time on this process. So certainly from my perspective, having saying, here's what I, here's where we got and, you know, in a public way and moving forward and getting, you know, majority votes on the floor would certainly have been, uh, you know, a significant achievement. And to do that, of course, in a public setting is more pleasant than, you know, uh, doing all the negotiations than not quite getting there. But I, I, I think that, the critical thing is that we manage these negotiations, including the relationship between the two houses and the governor, uh, in a manner that gets us to success. And I think that, um, you know, there were key things that the governor wanted. And by the way, as I noted before, I support in concept most of what the governor called the housing compact. So, from my perspective, it is a deficiency of this plan that it does not include some of that. So, I think I think the governor coming back and saying, I'm not ready to sign that, 
um, you know, ultimately it's the leader, the leader of each house has to decide how to manage the relationship with, you know, their counterpart in the other house and also with the governor. So I, it's a, you know, it's a call at that level about whether to move forward. Um, but I don't think that, you know, I don't think that people send us to dare each other or, you know, take symbolic actions. And I, I don't think a, a vetoed bill certainly doesn't help people out in the communities that we represent. So, uh, you know, I, I, it would have been, it would have been something satisfying about printing a bill and moving forward. But I think the, the, the thing that'll be really satisfying is that when we get to a deal and the legislative leaders and the governor can agree and move forward and we get something signed. And that's what I'm focused on and will continue to be focused on. One of the bullets, one of the bullets in this uh, agreement uh, in the legislature says the creation of a local affordable housing plan. What did, what did that mean? That that I'm not I'm not sure we know what the details of that is. That is that like a, a version of the growth targets, but they're not mandatory. There's no override board and it's sort of a incentive based program like the houses kind of said they supported in the in the budget process or what does that mean yeah this is um you know this is an idea that's floated around in both houses of the legislature and there's actually been legislation introduced uh that basically would require every locality to put forth uh a plan uh that that indicates their assessment of their needs and uh how they expect those needs to be met and do that in a public way uh so that's you know that again i exactly what the I don't you know I don't want to describe precisely what the details are and how it would have um you know how it would have intersected with our you know the other impulse of the legislature which is to to use incentives uh but but that yeah that was the idea is to basically mm-hmm. require it, it it probably shouldn't have been in the singular it's as a a local affordable housing plan. Right, I, I get, yeah. yeah. It really been many local affordable housing plans. Uh, and Got it. Again, make, making localities say how they expect to solve this problem for their own communities and in their own communities. And the gist of the good cause agreement was for New York City only? Um, that people we, were able uh, sort of on board with here? We, I mean, I, I, let me actually, before I answer that, just to go back, you, you had described it as uh, rent caps. And I think it's important that people understand the 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 base the basic notion of good cause is that you cannot be evicted for no good reason, and um, so it doesn't require new leases. It doesn't uh, interfere with the right of landlords to remove people who stop paying the rent. Um, but it it would it would this has been the law in a, in a variation. This has been the law in New Jersey for many many years. Uh, it has been the law in California since 2019, uh, and basically it says you can't evict people without a good reason. It enumerates what the reasons are. One of the reasons is so you can. It's clear that it is good. It counts as good cause if you uh, fail to pay the rent. It also would count as good cause if you fail to pay a reasonable rent increase. And this is where you start getting into numbers and what some people call a rent cap, because once you say that, uh, you know, you could let the courts decide what's reasonable and what's unreasonable, or the legislature could give guidance. And these, the, both the existing bill that's been around for since 2019, which I support, uh, would say that a rent increase is presumptively unreasonable if it exceeds a certain threshold. Uh, that is the way California has gone. And in California, the threshold is uh, the consumer price index plus five percentage points or 10% total, whichever is less. And what the, what California has said is that if you exceed that amount, if you propose a rent increase that exceeds that amount, it, it is a rebuttable presumption that it's unreasonable, which means a landlord who wants to charge more than that and, and a tenant declines to pay it, the landlord can go to court and say, I'm evicted because they're not willing to pay a rent increase. Uh, and if it exceeds that that threshold, then it would be presumed to be unreasonable, and that you know the landlord could nonetheless provide a reason for the judge to think it's in fact reasonable anyway. But it would be litigated, and in the event that it, it it's demonstrated to be unreasonable, then it would not could not be the basis for an eviction. Um, so, and that I would say that rent provision is a necessary component of the basic concept here. You can't say people have a right to be evicted for no reason. Sorry, right not to be evicted for no reason. 
but the landlord can triple the rent because effectively you'd have a constructive eviction by, you know, you say you, you're allowed to stay. You just need to pay three times as much. So we, we were working off the basic bill, which is sponsored by Senator Salazar and assembly member Hunter uh, that would, that's been pending in New York since 2019, but we were considering, uh, you know, things we can learn from the, from California in particular, because they have the sort of recent modern statewide version. Uh, and yes, there was talk about basically enacting it for New York City and possibly allowing other localities to opt in rather than mandating it statewide. Uh, and that, you know, that is a reflection of the fact that many of us in New York think this is a particularly a tool that's particularly well suited to the to the market here, where there's some other folks that think maybe other markets it's not as sensible, uh, where they're you know where the housing problems are somewhat different than they are in New York. Mm-hmm. It strikes so people interested in the in the conversation around good cause and we'll, we'll continue obviously to make that part of this conversation. I, I recently uh, uh, when this when state budget negotiations around housing fell apart uh, in in early May uh, end of April early May. I had on the show Sia Weaver, who's one of the leading advocates and organizers pushing for good cause eviction. So folks can check out that episode. But actually, also this week on the show, uh, Senator Salazar will join me to focus really in on the on the discussion around good cause um, specifically. So folks can uh, get excited for that episode as well. Um, That'll be a great conversation. She's a terrific advocate. <laughs> so, but but on that front, one question is: Is the and again. When you hear people, yourself as a supporter, you hear Sia Weaver, many other supporters of good cause, Senator Salazar will say it, you you understand, you hear people, you understand why they want to try to prevent evictions, of course, why they want to prevent, uh, you know, very large rental increases that, you know, more or less serve as displacement eviction, you get the perspective. At the same time, the question has to arise here, has the fight over good cause eviction undermine the ability to do more of these other things on housing. If you take good cause eviction off that list that the Senate and the Assembly sent out, that's a lot of housing policy seemingly that the legislature could pass with very limited controversy and the governor signs. Why not do that? I I, I hear that argument. I think it's it's partly a function of very effective, uh, you know, well-funded public relations operations by the real estate industry. I mean, this was proposed as a package. And what that means is people who support good cause eviction were willing to compromise on how it would work in a way that was intended to address some concerns of people who are skeptical of good cause eviction. And at the same time, it was extending uh, the availability of the 421A program, which is a program that the legislature declined to renew last June because of a very broad perception uh, that is that the program is way too generous to developers relative to the very modest amount of affordability that we buy with that program. The current program was negotiated at a time when Republicans controlled the Senate, and uh, it is very generous. And I, you know, I've opposed the current program in its in its present form. So I don't think anybody should cherry pick out of this and say, "Oh, look, this is uncontroversial because it would have been in the package." And any unless they're willing to say that good cause eviction legislation is uncontroversial because it was in the package. This was intended to be a broad compromise necessary to get. I mean, getting getting a majority of both houses of the legislature means three about three quarters of all Democrats support it. We're not, you know, we're, Republicans may vote for some of this at the end of the day, but we're not counting on that. So this was an intent intended to get a broad package of legislation. I would also note that good cause eviction does not appear to be the reason that, you know, the governor proposed a brand new version of 421A last year in 2000, mm-hmm. the beginning of 2022 as part of her budget. Um, I don't recall anyone saying the reason we weren't getting that done was because of good cause eviction. Uh, the reason we weren't getting that done is because we couldn't come to a consensus that it was good public policy. So, so you know, I, I, I think that you know, I think I think in order to get this done, people with very different perspectives are going to need to compromise and come to the table. And if people in the real estate industry or people who are prone to think of like free markets and property, private property rights as sacred um, are skeptical of good cause eviction, 
I think, first of all, they should ask themselves, do they really need an absolute right to remove somebody from their home for no reason as a way to, you know, make their business model work? Um, but they should, you know, they, they should ask whether their purity about that issue is preventing us from moving forward on some of the things they also say are critical. The, the, the tax breaks that are they believe are necessary to produce new housing, especially in New York where there's such high rates of property tax. But again, the goal here is to get everybody with a very wide range of perspectives uh, to the table. I would also note that 421A and commercial conversions in New York City um, are New York City only programs. And so when you're trying to get legislators from Syracuse and Rochester and Buffalo and rural parts of the state and Long Island to vote for a plan, you need to have elements that address their concerns too. So, you know, and, and Housing Access Vouchers are is a statewide program that is intended to address the fact that so many people are getting evicted routinely because they can't pay the rent. And that is some of the places that have the very highest levels of eviction are cities, upstate cities, so and Western New York cities. So, you know, this is complicated to do. Yeah. Everybody can say, why don't you just do my thing and ignore the other things? But that's just not the way that's not the way democracy in general work. And it's certainly not the way Albany works. Is there how would you describe the sort of consensus um or lack thereof around the sort of housing supply question, at least in your conference, I don't want you to speak for the assembly, you can, um, but in the, in the Senate Democratic supermajority, that conversation seems to have shifted uh, over the last couple of years in New York as more data has come out and you know the affordability crisis has worsened and, and so forth. But how would you characterize sort of the, the mindset among Senate Democrats around whether we have we actually have a real housing supply crisis in in new york oh i i think anyone paying any attention at all thinks there's a housing supply crisis i i it's indisputable but there's still there's still a lot of sort of well we don't really even among democrats there's a lot of like well we don't really want much of it coming here and we definitely don't want to be required to grow no, I, yeah, I wouldn't. Sorry, I, I would say I wouldn't characterize it that way. I would okay. say, first of all, we have a national housing crisis, very substantially because uh, localities have have declined to permit housing to be constructed at rates that meet the levels that are needed. I would also say that we have a housing crisis because we have underinvested in housing across our society for generations. Uh, we have very large scale federal programs, but they're not nearly sufficient. We have capital. I mentioned our five and a half billion dollar capital plan. It is very ambitious. It is a very large investment by any state standard where we're we're doing well in terms relative to other states, but we live in a country where we're not providing for these things. So we need much more in direct investment, both in rental subsidies and in capital subsidies. And we also do need to ensure that uh, local restrictions, land use restrictions, zoning restrictions are not getting in the way of uh, construction of new housing and particularly new affordable housing. So again, I think the governor, I said this at the time, I continue to say it, the governor was courageous starting last October by putting forth a plan that would have taken on uh, the tendency of localities to insist that this must be entirely a function of local control and to block housing from being constructed. That fight has played out in you know 15 states in the last decade, and it's now playing out here. And I, I do think we'll get there. I, it is fair to say that a lot of my colleagues are skeptical, especially suburban colleagues who represent these communities. You know, there are 1,400 local governments in New York. And, you know, we, we talk sometimes with, you know, in hushed tones about the need for local control and and I, you know, I believe in I believe in local input and local control to an extent, but I also think we need to address this fact that that so little is getting built in New York City. We've made a lot of there's been a lot of uh, change up zoning and changes in the zoning. I think I think zoning issues tend to be less of the issue in New York City. The issue here tends to be a very high level of taxes for multifamily housing, which cause us to. Uh, consider programs where they get people get a tax break in exchange for including affordability. Some people say the tax break is needed 
to make the development happen in the first place. But it is a different dynamic within the city limits, <laughs> although there are some, you know, there are some land use and zoning restrictions that have been conversations here as well. Um, but I, I think this is a conversation we need to have. I don't want to fault my colleagues for not taking a plan announced by the governor at the end of January and declining to enact it 60 days later uh, when the budget was due or, you know, mm -hmm. 94 days later when the budget actually got passed. Um, this is going to take a bit of time. I don't think there's any state where it went from, you know, proposal to enactment in that quick a period. But the governor's right to focus on it. And again, her plan, although, you know, I would quibble with specific aspects of it, more than quibble. There were real concerns about specific aspects of it. But I do think that, you know, she's right to focus on it. And I expect she'll continue to focus on it. And she'll be right to do that as well. We're in our last few minutes here with State Senator Brian Kavanaugh, a Manhattan Democrat who chairs the State Senate's Housing Committee and, as you're hearing, has been very involved in negotiations over the last six months around and 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 prior to that around housing policy in New York um, with with not a lot moving through. I guess I guess that gets back to sort of um, final couple questions here. But one is. We've sort of covered this a little bit, but in in some, how how do you wind up with almost nothing here? Why not say we've got to get to something that again you could say the governor has to be on board, get to something where there's um, just some 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 of the different pieces, and maybe the governor has to take her local requirements off the table, and maybe people have to take. Uh, some big compromise on good cause or take it off the table, some of the most controversial parts, but how to not get to something on uh, legalizing accessory dwelling units, on uh, the rental voucher program, on at least an extension of 421A when, um, you know, not necessarily a new program, but an extension where the thousands of units, tens of thousands of units that you mentioned earlier in the pipeline that are made sure to, to that they get done, maybe even an incentive program, you know, some of the some of the lower ish hanging fruit. How do you walk away with with very little, almost nothing on housing when it's such a such a crisis? I, 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 I there is no human being who is more disappointed about where we ended up than I am. But just. You know, maybe I, not quite I understand that. So what? But no, why? I, is I, mean, it, so I, yeah. I say that to preface what I'm going to say. Like, I, maybe not literally blood, sweat, and tears, but I worked, I worked extraordinarily hard on this now for, and more or less continuously for a couple of years now. But especially this session um, to try to get this done. I will say that you know, so so the disappointment is real, but it's not that the state is doing nothing. Um, you mentioned you know the housing access voucher program, our proposal was to put $250 million on the table for a new program. We did $400 million of new state money to clear out all arrears of any tenant in the state who applied for emergency rental assistance during COVID in this budget. That is, and again, that's straight tax levy state money that no other state in America is doing. Um, we funded the something called the Homeowner Protection Program at the highest level ever. That prevents people from losing their homes through foreclosure. We passed a very uh, ambitious package to address deed theft that we work closely with the uh, attorney general on. I think one of those bills still needs to go through the assembly next week, but I expect it will. Um, we passed something called the J51 tax break, which is a very, again, a, a billion dollar tax break that is intended to support multifamily housing in New York. That had expired uh, more than a year ago, and we renewed it and strengthened it, uh, working closely with the city and the two houses of the legislature. Uh, there's a there's a bill that basically revamps all of HPD's uh, sub, uh, housing subsidy programs uh, called the Housing Affordability uh, Resiliency and Energy Efficiency Investment Act, uh, which, again, has passed the Senate. And I'm expecting and hoping the assembly will take it up next week. We did also pass some tenant, some pretty broad tenant protections in the Senate on the last day to clean up uh, some of the, uh, you know, remaining loopholes in the HSTPA. So a lot of those things are controversial. We are continuing to work on these things. So I don't want people to listen and say, oh, they're just throwing up their hands and doing nothing. But having said that, um, I think it is hard. You mentioned, why can't we just extend 421A? Uh, again, that is a very 
controversial approach, which, you know, the city foregoes more than a billion dollars a year and gets not so much affordable housing out of it. Uh, most people think, many people think that that program is too generous. Um, it happens that the people most strenuously supporting that are also the people most strenuously trying to block good cause eviction. So I think it's not surprising. And, you know, by the way, the people supporting that will say right, say the same thing, vice versa. Um, I think that we have the basis for broader collective action here, and we're going to need to do it. And again, as someone who supports many different elements of this, uh, I'm working hard to get all the policy, the parties together. Um, but, you know, we didn't get there last week. I don't think we'll get there next week, but I do hope sometime soon we'll be able to put all the pieces together. And, and as we close out here, the you you are uh, you've been around for a little while. You obviously were in the legislature during um, the, the Andrew Cuomo's tenure as governor. We've now seen Eric Adams come in as mayor. The New York City uh, housing policy agenda that failed, where the city wanted certain you know certain elements. Um, were there gaps in the sort of efforts by the two major executives here? Uh, did the governor not twist enough arms? Did the mayor not make enough of a public and private case? Were there any gaps there that you identify as part of the reasons that some of these things didn't get done, even as standalone bills? Um, I, I don't think anybody would fault the governor for her effort on this. I, uh -huh. I think she put, you know, she put forth a plan in October. She put it in the executive budget. Uh, her housing commissioner, Ruth Edmund, Ms. Nowska, who's fantastic, you know, spent a lot of time talking to people and making sure people understood what was proposed and trying to persuade them to support it. Um, I would say the city uh, also has had a big presence. Um, uh, you know, Jessica Katz, who's going to be departing soon, uh, was a very regular presence. Um, and, you know, the staff of the mayor. Um, it, I did note we're getting, you know, there are a couple of significant things we did man manage to pass, both of which were priorities of the city. So, you know, I, I don't want to, I think everybody's put, Tremendous, tremendous effort into this. Sometimes the, those efforts are at cross purposes because we disagree about priorities. But but I don't think this is a lack of effort or attention. I think I also note, you know, the city during all of this has been dealing with just an enormous crisis of, you know, so many thousands of, of migrants that they had to house on short notice, um, which, you know, as much as that that response has not been perfect, it is it is massive. And, you know, I don't think there's any city in America that would take it on to the extent that we have here. So, you know, I don't really want to fault the various participants in this. Um, I do think some of the um, advocates, um, and I'll say especially on the real estate side, have been um, more adamant that they have certain sacred cows that can't be, um, you know, uh, sacrificed here. And I would say in particular, uh, the opposition, you know, the flat opposition to uh, tenant protections, uh, additional tenant protections has been a problem. But it's not, again, it's not for lack of effort on their part, and they're entitled to their point of view. It's just that, you know, I don't think we're, I don't think we got there largely because of an inability to get the compromises done that we needed to get done. But we did get pretty close. And like I said, I remain optimistic that we'll get it done. And very lastly, the governor's talking about taking executive action on housing. She might use state-owned land. She might declare a state of emergency and, uh, you know, take certain powers to to uh, be able to provoke development, uh, maybe using the Empire State Development Entity to do things. Um, there's talk from advocates about uh, how to look at fair housing laws and whether they're being violated, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Is that something you're in favor of? Are there specifics of executive action that you would like to see her take on housing? I am in favor of the governor using, you know, the powers that she validly has to pursue public interest. I was asked would I support that, and it sort of obviously depends on what the actions are and whether right. she has the authority to do them. Um, I will say, you know, I passed a law last year that requires all governments and all housing agencies, including the state agencies, to affirmatively further fair housing in all their actions. Um, and so they all have that obligation now. And if the governor were to find that certain agencies are not doing that or certain governments are not doing that in their activities, uh, that might be, uh, you know, provide some leverage to push in a different direction. But again, and certainly using state land, um, including, you know, the, the MTA is a very big landowner. We talked a lot about 
transit-oriented development. Some people said, you know, the MTA often owns the parking lot and, and maybe could facilitate uh, construction. Um, but, you know, so, I, so yeah, I, I favor the governor reviewing what she has the options to do and, you know, taking action as, as appropriate. But at the end of the day, I don't think we're going to solve these problems without um, legislative and budgetary action uh, that are going to be really critical. So I think ultimately it's going to require an agreement among the parties. Speaking of your your bills and the governor, uh, she vetoed a bill of yours uh, last year, I believe, to establish a, uh, a joint legislative commission on affordable housing. Uh, I, I, I was looking back at that. I thought that was that was notable given everything that's transpired uh, since uh, that. And I'm not I'm not quite remembering the rationale for the veto, but um, but she vetoed your your bill for a, a special joint commission on affordable housing that was supposed to be tasked with coming up with lots of uh, of ideas and solutions. Yeah, I will. I will say the form is less important than the yeah. substance. So that you know, we had a dis- the legislature had a disagreement with the with the governor about whether that would be a useful mechanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have created a broad, co- uh, you know, a broad um, commission with a very broad mandate. But you know, what we did instead is work through. The governor's proposals, the legislature's proposals this year. Um, I don't know that it would have been different if you called it. I mean, we we certainly got all the parties to the table. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm less concerned about the form than yeah. the substance and the outcome. State Senator Brian Kavanaugh, thank you very much for the time. We will check in with you down the road. Appreciate the uh, the conversation here on this uh, obviously very important topic. Appreciate all the time and be well. Yeah, great. Happy to be here. Thanks again. 